Good morning. Man, uh, my name is Blake. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, just as Zach mentioned, I mean, it, it, it doesn't get a lot better than this, right? We, we're Sunday morning with all of our friends and family. We have, um, we celebrate baptism this morning. We get to see a picture of people moving from death to life. Uh, we're in Advent season, one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, so we, uh, we celebrated the coming of our Lord Jesus, and again, echoed in baptism, knowing that he ultimately not just came, but died for our sins. We have a lot to celebrate, do we not, Christians? A lot to celebrate. So uh, I'm just so glad that it's Christmas season. I, um, this is one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, now, you know, there, there are those people that, that love Christmas, um, but then there's those people that really love Christmas, those weirdos, right? So, um, so who are my really loves Christmas camp? Do I, okay, so I am also in that camp, so I'm a fellow weirdo in Christmas um, and so what I want to do is uh, I, I need y'all to help me settle a debate that I've been hearing. Um, and uh, the reason I want is because I don't want to feel so alone, and, uh, because I've been feeling a lot, of, a lot of hurt, a lot of shame, a lot of sadness around my choices of when I'm going to start listening to Christmas music, okay? <laughs> so I need to run an informal poll just to make sure I'm not alone. And uh, by, based on applause, let me know who, who thinks the right time to start listening to Christmas music is the day after Thanksgiving. So, okay, got some, okay. That's respectable. How about uh, maybe the day after Halloween? Oh, okay, okay. How about when it just starts to get cold? Okay, all right. How about any time of year? There's my people. Let's go to lunch after this, okay? So, we'll listen to Christmas music on the way there. You better believe it. Now, what about never? Who, who never thinks Christmas music should ever be played? Okay, there's the door. Y'all can still meet us for lunch, though. Okay. So, yeah. So, all right. Thanks for making me feel better. I, I appreciate you doing that. Um, uh, we're, I definitely have some more of my people in here than I thought, so that makes me good, feel good. So, uh, so regardless of, of when you start listening to Christmas music, you know, we're celebrating the, the season of Advent. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I did not grow up uh, celebrating Advent. I heard this word... I thought it was for those, you know, those weirdos for the other dimension, or the other dimensions, the other denominations <laughs> who probably operate in other dimensions, right? Um, I thought that Advent just meant that's the time of year you get new snakes for, uh, for the gathering. So, uh, but I, I've learned that's not what Advent means, okay? So it's not, it's not the snake time of the year. Uh, Advent truly just means the coming or arrival. And of course, who is coming and who is arriving? Jesus. Jesus. The Sunday school answer almost always wins, guys. So just say it with confidence, Okay. Jesus. We are celebrating the coming, the arrival of Jesus uh, in the flesh for us. So, um, and so last week, uh, Paul, uh, Pastor Scott, we talked about hope. And um, let me get to my next one. So last week, we're, we, so throughout Advent, we're taking four Sundays to talk about hope, love, joy, and peace. And uh, Pastor Scott uh, began our Advent season talking about hope. And uh, so, of course, we have a lot of things that we can hope for. We, we hope for uh, that promotion we've been working really hard for at work. We, we hope for strong and healthy and smart kids. Uh, we hope for good, deep, rich marriages and, uh, and hundreds of other things. And those are all good things to hope for. We should hope for those things. And uh, as Pastor Scott took us, we, we also saw in the Old Testament that we had, saw the hopes of the Israelites as they, were, um, as they were hoping in the promises of God. And that led them to the hope that they had in young David, the defeater of Goliath who had who would go on and, and actually become their king. And um, it's easy for us when we look at old heroes like that in the Old Testament for us to, and I know I was taught this when I was younger, that 
we look at guys like that, we say, be more like David. Have, have, be courageous like David. Have the faith like David. And I think Pastor Scott did a great job of reminding us, and we actually did a whole series on this uh, before, that the Bible is not simply 66 disconnected stories that shows us how to be a good person. What it is is it's a large, grand narrative that points to the ultimate hope that we have. And what he reminded us is that our ultimate hope this Advent season is in Jesus. So we can hope in all these things. These are good things to hope for. But our ultimate hope is the hope that we have in our Savior, Jesus, who we get to celebrate during this Advent season. So this morning, we're going to continue our Advent journey with love. So um, I thought about using that. uh, Anyone seen The Princess Bride? You know, where he talks about love over and over. So it's one of my favorite movies. Um, It's not a very good clip, though. I was disappointed. So, But just that's the kind of thing I have in my mind when I first heard that word uh, preparing for this this morning. Uh, But it... One of the things that I have to be honest with is last year, we actually went through um, the, a, a similar series, Love, Hope, Joy, and Peace, and I actually happened, I just randomly picked this Sunday for when we were going to switch it up, and I also happened to pick Love last year as well. So I uh, actually kicked my feet up because I was just going to read the sermon I wrote last year. Why work twice as hard, right? So, um, so yeah, so yesterday morning when I you know, dusted it off, I'm just kidding, that's really not what I had, so. <laughs> but I did, I did plan on kind of looking through the notes and kind of seeing what I wrote last year and seeing... Uh, what, what the Lord might have for us. And honestly, as I was reading it, it just didn't feel right. I really anticipated using a lot of those notes from last year for this morning, but it just didn't feel right. I was really surprised to feel the Spirit just take me in a completely different direction. Uh, and I'm really glad to see that because it's really cool to see the Spirit working, uh, not even on Sunday mornings, but even as we're preparing for Sunday mornings. I know Zach says very similar things as we're picking music as well. Um, so so I truly believe that the act of preaching isn't just for you to come listen to some guy. I really do believe that as we're preparing sermons, that it really is for the people that are sitting in this room right now. And so I pray that this morning, as you're hearing these things, I, I pray that for those of you who would call yourselves a Christian, I pray that, that what you hear about the Father's love this morning is, um, I hope it's like a big warm hug. I hope it's an encouragement to you. And uh, for those who, maybe the Advent season, the Christmas season is maybe a really tough time, I hope that you hear encouragement this morning about your Father's love for you. And uh, for those of you who maybe aren't Christians, um, or maybe you're still thinking about what that might look like, I pray that the Spirit even allows these words to maybe continue to soften your heart, to maybe even just take that first step of asking questions. Um, And if it is you who falls into this last camp, or maybe you don't call yourself a Christian, or if you're not sure, please don't like just brace yourself, because I promise I'm not here to dump guilt and shame over your head this morning. I want this morning, I want you to hear that, um, that simply your father loves you. And uh, it's really interesting because uh, what I've been learning this, this year, specifically recently, is um, I, I truly believe that the work that God wants to do through us, not just pastors, but all of us as Christians, the work that God wants to do through us is often, more often than not, the work that God is doing in us first. And so as I was preparing for this sermon, I really felt the Lord telling me that really just to, to, to focus on the things that the Lord has been sharing in my heart, and so that uh, maybe it can be an encouragement to you this morning. So, um, so I, I might talk a lot about, you know, the Lord has been teaching me, been teaching me, but I really do believe that um, this can be something for all of us. And so don't just listen to me. Don't just listen to some Bible verses and some guy talking. I, w- I really hope that you are uh, looking inside yourself and just saying, is this something that maybe the Lord is also teaching you? Because I'm sharing from my heart. I'm sharing from where the, what the Lord has been teaching me, but I truly believe it's not just for me. I believe it's also for some of you maybe all of you this morning. So, um, so listen closely, and um, I promise you will, you will leave encouraged. And uh, 
what this reminds me of, as I'm sharing what the Lord has taught me, it reminds me of a quote that actually I first heard from Pastor, uh, Pastor Paul a few, a few years ago, and it's this. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. At the end of the day, it's not about me, it's not about Pastor Scott, it's not about the Refuge Church, it's simply me pointing you to the greater one. It's me showing you who's greater. And so this morning as I'm telling you what the Lord is teaching me, please don't think I've mastered it, like I'm not some kind of a Jedi guy like showing you what to do, I'm just simply showing you here's what I've been learning and I just, I can't help but tell you what the Lord has been teaching me. Um, so this morning, let me just show you some of this bread that has been so graciously given to me, if, you, if you'll allow me. So before we get started, uh, let me just pray for us real quick um, as, as we dive in. Dear Lord, thank you for being such a loving, and good, gracious, and beautiful Father to us. God, we do not deserve you, but it's so just amazing to be able to sit in your presence, to sing these songs to you, to feel your presence. Um, just thank you for all this, God. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the love you have for her. Thank you for allowing us to be part of the work that you're doing. Uh, thank you for your scriptures that you allow us to open together and read and learn more about your character, God. So, so be with us this morning. Show us how much you love us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So last, um, I heard a story recently, and it was about something that just doesn't happen very often, and it was really, really interesting. And, and what it was is over, um, over just to the west of us in Arkansas, actually where my wife is from, something unique happened that doesn't happen very often. And what it was is those guys, um, they opened up their phone, they went to their weather app, scrolled all the way on to the end, and the 10-day forecast, what did they see? They saw a chance of snow, 30%. It's the south. That doesn't happen a whole lot, right? I heard a yes, right? So people start to get excited, right? Now, I don't know about you, but when I see that, maybe not like Rome, but when I see it, I immediately dismiss it because this is the South. It doesn't happen, right? It doesn't happen. Surely, at some point soon, it's going to switch over to the southern precipitation of annoying cold, misty rain. That's, that's probably what it's going to be, right? That's probably what it's going to be. So they, a lot of those people in Arkansas, they dismissed it. But the next day, they opened up their weather app, went to go see what it was, and sure enough, it was still there, 30%. So then the next day, they you know, went to look, and, you know, Again, surely it's going to change. You know, those weathermen, they're never right. They're always wrong. So, of course, this is just a fluke. But what happened? 40% now. Ooh, starting to happen. I think it's we actually might start to get the snow. I'm starting to get excited. I'm like, Roma, I like snow. I grew up around snow. So uh, I really like looking for that. But so now that I'm starting to get this little glimmer of hope, what do you think happened the next day? Y'all are so cynical. Man, switched around. Why can't, what's wrong with hoping for snow around Christmas? Yeah, but you're right, it switched to rain. So, um, yeah, that's what happened the next day. So, yeah, it switched to rain the next day. And, of course, so, of course, you know, of course that's what happens if it's snow in the snow, right? So, the next couple of days, I just kind of stayed in that, stayed with, um, uh, with the rain forecast, you know, the percentages changing over and over. But then, the day before the supposed Arkansas snowpocalypse, on a Saturday, everyone woke up that morning and opened up their app to see 90% chance of snow. So, that weatherman was really wrong. So, but it went back to snow, 90%, right? So, of course, kids start dusting off their sleds. They go to Walmart, buy whatever Walmart sells for snow in Arkansas. No idea, probably like trash can lids or something. So that's what they had when I was in Texas. So, um, uh, but uh, that's, what they, that's what they had. They started to get really, really excited. But you know what group of people aren't very excited about snow on a Sunday? Pastors. You know why? Because you know what snow on a Sunday means? It means warm beds and empty pews. So that's what I Y'all like a Drake meme as much as I do? Gotta love a Drake meme, right? So yeah. 
So yeah, they thought empty stew. So this pastor, there was this one pastor at this one church in Arkansas who, um, he goes, okay, see the snow. He calls up his other pastor and says, you know what, we need to start talking about maybe canceling service for tomorrow. So they start talking. Yeah, that might be a good idea. It might be not safe. You know, who wants to show up for, um, for only a couple people that show up in Arkansas when it's snowy? Um, but they decide not to make the decision yet. Let's, let's just wait to see what tomorrow morning brings, and we'll go from there. So they go to bed, get some sleep, wake up early the next morning, peer out their window, and what do they see? 90% chance of snow actually happened. They see it. So the pastor picks up his phone again. He makes the call that to, to probably inevitably close service like they, they assumed would happen. But when something surprising happened. One of their other pastors said he did not want to close service that day. And he was just like, what are you talking about? I do not want to go for only a couple people that show up. It's, not, it's just not worth it to me. But then before that pastor could say something, that other pastor said, I started to explain why he wanted to open service. He said, I want to open the doors, he explained, because there might be only one person who braves the snow and walks in, but it might be the only time this week that that person gets to hear that their Father in heaven loves them. Amen. And that makes it worth it to me. Now, that might have been the biggest Jesus juke of all time, but that's, that doesn't make it not true. There are many people out there who never get to hear how much God loves them or that he loves them at all. And that church in Arkansas and this church want you to know that your Father in heaven loves you. Amen. He does. And I know this is one of those things that sounds elementary, but I want you to read that and believe it. Your Father in heaven loves you. Now turn to your neighbor and tell him that. I should have said reluctantly turn to your neighbor and say that, but you all did it. I appreciate that. Your father in heaven loves you. He really does. Believe it. And so now I'm not saying that the Refuge Church, that we're never going to cancel church on a Sunday morning. That church in Arkansas is obviously way more holy than we are, but we've done it before. We might do it again. Uh, but it is a deep, deep hope of ours here at the Refuge Church that you leave this very room every Sunday hearing the words of the gospel and hearing that your Father in heaven loves you, which is most highly demonstrated through Jesus dying on the cross. Amen. So we do, that is a deep, deep uh, hope of ours uh, as, we, as we're in this, um, not only Advent season, but every time you come into this room. So this is something that the Lord has been teaching me that not that he loves me, because of course we say that all the time, but Jesus really loves me. My Father really loves me. He deeply loves me. He deeply loves you. And again, you might be being like, I know this, I know this. But he's been showing me what that looks like, and I don't think I really believed how deeply he loved me before. And I still don't, probably, but he's been showing me deeper and deeper what that looks like. And I, and I hope that you go around this with me. So what I want to do this morning is I want to show you, I want to answer a question, a very obvious question that comes along with this. And secondly, I got a little bonus for you at the end, and it's for free, okay? I'm not even gonna charge you extra for that one, okay? So I'm gonna answer a question, and we're gonna, I have a little bit of bonus once we answer that question. So the obvious question we have, when you see something like this, your Father in heaven loves you, the question is, well, how do we know that our Father loves us? How do we know that God loves us? So go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to 1 John chapter four. And we're gonna look at this together. And we're going to start in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we, are able, uh, that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love of God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so, also are we in this world." There is no fear in love, but uh, perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. These are the very words of God we just read. No good for teaching and good for allows to show us more of his character. So there's a lot here what we just read in these uh, in this many many verses. And uh, but I think God answers that question. How can we know that God loves us? I think he answers it very thoroughly. And he actually is gracious enough to give us not one, but two examples of how he loves us. And the first example he gives us is simply that we love the evidence God is presenting and proving his love for us is the simple fact that we as humans are ourselves capable of love. I mean, can we all agree on that? Yeah, yeah when we, we, love our, we love our kids, our spouses, our parents, our pets, even our cats, if you're one of those weird cat people. So yeah, that, um, I mean, I personally think that cats are a product of the fall, but if you love cats, then more power to you. You can love cats, but that love in your heart is evidence that God, uh, of, of the love of God. Um, but the fact remains, you know, we're, we're capable of loving things. We can all agree on that. And here in 1 John, we see some specific examples given. So right off the bat in, first, uh, in verse 7, we see, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So our love for one another is evidence because God is love. Love is from God. He is the source of love. Now, don't get me wrong, it's, love is still pretty cool just by itself, right? So regardless of where it's coming from, it's still pretty cool to, to, to have love. I mean, have you ever just stopped and just looked at someone that you love, and you just think to yourself, I can't believe how much I love this person. I mean, I can't believe that they're in my life. I mean, first of all, you probably looked like a weirdo just staring at them like that, but, but how cool is that? How cool is it that we're, that we're able to have this feeling of love towards other people, this feeling of this connection with others, and what sweetens the pot even more is that this is wired into us, not to end on itself, but to point us to him. Because in 1 John 4 and verse 19, we read this, we love because he first loved us. So the fact that we, he is the source of that love. So we love because he first loved us. He's that source. 
So the fact that you are capable of even feeling love should be a reminder, not of your love, but of the love that the Father has for you that placed in your heart to begin with. So when you're creepily staring at that person, just with those thoughts in your mind, with love filling your heart, um, I pray that it does serve as that reminder, that you don't just let it stop there, that you allow it to move on to what the Lord has designed you to do, which is to worship him in that moment. Because that love you have for that person, while genuine, didn't come from you, it came from the Lord who put that in your heart because he first loved you. How cool is that? How gracious of a God do we have who just because he loves us allowed us to feel that? He didn't have to do that, but he did because he loves us. Now looking at verses 11 and 21, it actually takes this a little bit further step. Now for those English majors out there, uh, the Lord is defining the word love not as a noun, but as a verb. Okay, so in other words, God is showing us that love isn't just feeling that you catch like a cold. Love is something that you are commanded to do, to love, love as a verb. Now, this could be a whole other sermon, honestly, but, but I do want to say just this very, very simply on the matter, that, that it, it's easy to love those who are lovable, is it not? Yeah. It's easy to like those who are likable. But what about the outcasts and the weirdos? What about the people that tend to make conversations super awkward. That's my specialty, by the way. So yeah. What about those people? What if you don't feel like loving someone? Especially, don't, maybe, what about those who have even been ugly to you or maybe even hurt you? Are we supposed to love them too? I'm not saying it's not hurtful, but I don't believe the Bible allows us to endlessly sit in that disdain. Because here in 1 John, and in lots of other places throughout Scripture, and even in G- out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospels, we see over and over the theme to choose to love others, especially our enemies, even our enemies. After all, Jesus told his disciple in, in, uh, in John chapter 13 that by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what for one another? Love, if you have love for one another. So even those people that always say the wrong things, even that person you always secretly hope isn't at the party, we're commanded to love them as well. But what I want to tell you is I'm not, what I'm not asking you to do, I'm not saying that, okay, you need to go to that party, and I'm not saying you need to love harder. Like, you, you just got to love them, got to love harder. Like, that's, that's not what I'm saying to do, because are you the source of love to begin with? No. no. So I'm not asking you just to love harder, because love doesn't come from you to begin with. What I'm at, my encouragement to you is that when you do come across those people who aren't very lovable, for whatever reason, go to the source in prayer and ask him to place that love in your heart and then make the choice to love them well, just as God makes the choice to love you first. And in fact, this leads us to our, to our next example that God gave us, our first example being the fact that we are capable of love ourselves. But in verses 9 and 10, we read this in 1 John. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, I don't want propitiation to scare you. That's one of those, what Scott calls a a $10 theological word. It just simply means that to appease the demands of a God. So, So you could just read it as that he sent his son to be the one who pays for our sin. So here we see God's second example of our love for us. He sent us his son. 
So when you have the question of how can we know that God loves us? Because he sent us his son. He didn't have to do that, but he did because he loves us. In verse 9, we read that, that the love of God was, quote, made manifest among us by sending his son to the world. And this could also be translated as that God made his love widely and clearly known to us by sending his son to the world. So here in 1 John, we see this theme here not only in verses 9 and 10, but also in 14 and 15, not to mention all of the other places we see throughout the Bible, especially in, in the New Testament, of, of God sending his son, demonstrating his love for that. And, and for those of you who were with us during the 12 and a half years we were walking through Romans, um, that might sound familiar with you as well, right? So um, this, we actually hear about what this looks like. So if you can, go ahead and flip over with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to pick up in verse 6. Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were, reconciled, um, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we have been, are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So here in Romans, we see this theme of God showing his love by sending his son repeated, um, even here in Romans chapter five. And in verse eight is, the, is kind of the capstone of what I'm talking about. God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So while you and I were not just indifferent to God, but we were sinners, we were enemies of God, what did he do? He sent his son to die for us. He sent his son to die on the cross in your place. And verse seven even puts this radically scandalous nature of this gospel into further focus. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. In other words, Jesus didn't just die for the pretty, well put together, goes to church every Sunday, ties regularly person. He did die for that, for that person, but he humbled himself. He dove to the lowest, dirtiest slum and chased down the vilest, dirtiest, most sinful being imaginable, and he also died for that person. Amen. And if we're all honest with ourselves, I think I know who I more identify with, the good one. So, no, the, yeah. So, right, I think we all know, we all know even maybe even just a little bit, the depths of our sin, which I would say isn't even scratching the surface. So we know that we are sinners. But guess what? God shows his love for me and that while I was a sinner, still running from him, Christ died for me and rescued me. The same is true for you if you call yourself a Christian. So man, God must really, really love me. If he's willing to chase me down, he must really love me. He must deeply love me. So with this in mind, again, when you come across that person who's not very lovable, love them. After all, that's what the Father did for you, did he not? When you weren't very lovable, he still sent his son to die for you. So, so who are we to withhold from others what the Lord has so graciously done for us? Again, I'm not saying that you need to love harder. Ask the Lord for that love in your heart. What beautiful love that is, that he would send his son to die for us. So we have our question. 
how can we know that God loves us? And God was gracious enough to give us two answers here in 1 John, the first being the fact that we're able to even feel love ourselves is one of the ways he demonstrates his love for us. And secondly, he sent us Jesus. He sent us his son when we were sinners, and he demonstrates his love for that. So I think that he has very clearly answered this question, how can we know that God loves us? Because it's the fact that we love and because he sent us his son. So I feel like we've answered the question, right? So now it's bonus time, okay? So it's bonus time. We answered the question. So what I want you to think of it as, God has already given us the cake, and cake is good. Y'all agree? Y'all like cake? Who doesn't like cake? Actually, I do know some people. They're weirdos. Uh, But I love them, too. I love them. So, all right. So, um, sometimes. Uh, All right. But um, cake is good by itself. But is cake better with ice cream? You better believe it. Now, I'm not going to get mad at you if you just hand me a piece of cake without ice cream. I'm still going to eat that. You better believe I'm going to eat that cake, right? And I'm such a fat kid. All right, anyway, but... um, but cake with ice cream, so much better, right? So, so that's what I want you to think of. God has already given us the cake, but God also gives us the ice cream. And the reason he does that is because God not only loves us, he also delights in us. How cool is that? He doesn't just love us, he delights in us too. He's not like just some rich father who sends you off with a nanny and throws money at you and you, you, know, just, you do your thing, I love you, I pay for you. He's involved, he delights in you too. We get cake and ice cream. Why why would he do that? It's amazing. And when we were looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, we stopped at verse 10. But what I want to do is I want to read verses 10 and 11 for you. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So Scott touched on this last week. This is what we call the double cure, right? That that God gives us forgiveness and makes us pure. He gives us cake and ice cream. How cool is that, right? So, I mean, why would he do that? I mean, surely just paying for our sin is enough. I mean, we already don't deserve that at all. So would God be gracious in just giving us that? Of course. Of course he would. But he doesn't just give us that. He also makes us pure. He also... Uh, He also restores our relationship to him perfectly because of Jesus. So God not only loves us, he also delights in us. And this is one of those things that that the Lord has been teaching me. Again, it's one of those things that it sounds like, well, duh, like on on the surface, but you really got to believe it. And I noticed that where I said that I believed it and where I didn't really believe it, was when I looked at my actions, specifically around where I sinned. And what, it, what really what it came down to was, I, I can't remember if it was Pastor Paul, or I, saw, I heard this question before, and the question is simply this, is God mad at me? And if you were to ask me, I would say, no, God's not mad at me because of Jesus, right? Jesus paid for my sins, I'm reconciled to him, I'm not, he's not mad at me, of course, God loves me, especially because of Jesus, right? But, when I actually started to look at my actions, it really showed what I really believed in that moment. So let me ask you this question to you. I want you to think back maybe just this week, and I want you to think about maybe a specific sin that you had in your, in your heart. And I want you to say it out loud. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have to do that. But um, So just hold it in your mind. Hold it in your mind, that sin that you had. Now, I want to ask you this. When, you, when that sin occurred and you recognized that it was a sin, did you immediately go to God and ask for forgiveness? Or did you hide from God for a little while out of guilt and shame? 
Did you run to him or did you run away from him? And I gotta be honest, I did the last one a lot. I still do the last one a lot. I mean, I would tell you that I believe that God is perfectly happy with me, but that's only while things are going good. Once I sin, I no longer think God's happy with me. Because what do I do? Well, I try to pray harder and I read my Bible more because I gotta prove to God that he loves me. I gotta prove to God that I'm sorry. I gotta prove to God that I'm thankful for his forgiveness, right? That's what we're supposed to do when we sin, right? I mean, is there anything wrong with praying and reading your Bible? Of course not, of course not. We should do those things. God tells us to do those things. But again, if I'm looking at my actions and being really honest with the state of my heart while I'm doing all of those things, what I'm really doing is I'm wallowing in guilt and shame and I'm working to make myself feel forgiven. I'm making it about me. And I'm working to cause God to forgive me again. That's what I'm trying to do if I really look at it. I'm hiding from the presence of God, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, we've been walking through Genesis. should be fresh in our minds. Because apparently I think I need to clean up myself before I'm able to approach God again. I need to clean up just a little bit before I can go to him. This is where God has been teaching me to relax and just rest in him. Now, that may sound like just a convenient cop-out, honestly, because the, 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 uh, the gospel is very scandalous, right? It sounds too good to be true, because it is. it is. It is true. It is too good, but it's true. It's amazing. But I promise it's not just a cop-out, because we see over and over in Scripture that the feelings of guilt and shame for the Christian are not from God. Amen. They are not from God. In fact, when I sin, I don't have to pray harder. I don't have to memorize more Scripture to make God like me again. And I know this because all throughout the scriptures, we see this over and over and over. But one of my favorite spots in scripture is this one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian rescued by Jesus from your sin, he paid for that sin too that sin that you feel guilt and shame over, he already paid for it. And what does the Bible say about your status before God when you're wallowing in that shame and, sin, uh, shame and guilt? You do not have condemnation. Jesus already paid for that. And then the next verse even tells us that you've been set free from the law, not because of how hard you prayed or how many Bible verses you memorized. Again, those aren't bad things, but that's not why you're saved. Because of Jesus, because Jesus rescued you. He already paid for that sin. So if you're a Christian, I want you to really think about this because I actually have a challenge for you this week. Somebody challenged me to do this and it was very helpful for me. So this week, if you sin, I'm just kidding, you're definitely gonna sin this week. So I'm definitely gonna sin this week. If I make it an hour, it's gonna be good, okay? So yeah, so when you sin this week, because it's going to happen, I want you to do something. I want you to run to God, not away from him. And again, that sounds easy, but it often sounds very counterintuitive when you're in the moment. It feels like you shouldn't do that. It feels like you should cower away. But what I want you to do is instead of running away, I want you to stop and immediately pray, and I want you to thank him for Jesus. Thank him for your forgiveness in Christ because you are already forgiven if you're a Christian. And again, it's gonna feel weird. It's gonna feel wrong even. You're gonna feel not right doing that. But I promise you will not be met by a father with a scowl on his face. You will not. You will be met by a warm presence who already forgives you, who whispers, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. 
because of what Jesus has already done on the cross. So, y'all, can I, are y'all accepting this challenge? Yes. Okay, if you're in this room, you're accepting the challenge. You're going to do it. I look forward to your emails. Uh, um, so please, I, I really do challenge you to do it because I know the first or se- uh, second time I actually chose to do this, it was life-changing. And it's something that I have to cu- force myself to do over and over because my natural propensity is still to run away because I feel that shame and guilt. But again, it is not from God. So what I want to do is I want to leave you with this picture that we see of God. In, uh, in Zephaniah, verse 17, uh, Zephaniah 3, verse 17, we read, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God has taken away our judgments. He is the king and our Lord. And because he is with us, we don't have to fear. He is mighty to save. His love will calm us and make us feel rest. And he triumphantly and gladly and apparently loudly rejoices over you. Does that sound like a father who is begrudgingly tolerating our promise or our presence? Does that sound like a father who is just okay with you being there? No, he loves you and he delights in you. He loves you and he delights in you. I want you to hear that. I want you to believe that. So a, a few, as I close, I want to leave you with an analogy that I heard uh, that was very, very helpful for me in thinking about the, the Lord's love for me. I had a chance to listen to a, a pastor from Huntsville, Alabama called, uh, his name is Abe Meisenberg. And um, let me throw this picture up here. This is not a picture of Abe Meisenberg, by the way. Uh, you might be thinking to yourself, is that Brad Pitt laying on that couch? <laughs> Uh, it's not Brad Pitt, it's actually me. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that is me laying on the couch, uh, and that is my son Judah laying on me. I guess we're taking a Sunday nap or something. It's a picture my wife took last year. And uh, so with, the, with this in mind, uh, Pastor Abe used this example to help us get a small glimpse of the love that Jesus has for us. So for those of you who have little kids, you know, that's Judah, he's four now, and I have another one, uh, Hazel, who's two. You probably have experienced this where you're sitting on the ground or on a chair or really anywhere, and what do they do? They start edging closer, edging closer, until they're just sitting on your lap, or they're hanging around your neck, or they're doing whatever they're, they're doing, right? Now, when they do that, when they're finally sitting in your lap, do they then go, all right, parent, now that I have you here, um, I have some things I'd like to discuss. Do they do that? I mean, my, mine never did that. <laughs> mine never actually did that. They, they just simply wanted to be with me. They just just simply for the sake of being with me. There's no other agenda on their mind. They just want to be with their father. There's no other reason. They just want to be with me. I mean, to my surprise, <laughs> but they just, they, they do. And, um, and I acknowledge that at times this can be annoying because they do it a lot, like a lot, a lot. Like, no joke, yesterday I was working on this sermon from home. I was sit- sitting typing on my laptop and my daughter Hazel literally was crawling onto my lap just to sit in my lap to watch me while I was typing. I don't know if you've seen her, but she has this little top knot hair where it kind of flows that. So I had to keep like looking around her hair just so I could see my screen and stuff. And she just wanted to be there. That's all. She just kept doing it over and over. And it was honestly annoying at first, but then I was read what I was typing. So how funny is that? We don't actually believe the things we're even talking about. So, but we do. But in that moment, the Lord convicted me and was just like, you're doing, she's doing it right now. She's sitting in your lap. And it warmed my heart. Because when she did that, do you think I looked down at her and said, all right, Hazel, I'm glad we could gather here today. I have some things I'd like to discuss with you. Do you think I did that? Do you all ever do that when your kid gets into your lap? 
I mean, sometimes maybe, but what do you do more often than not? Put your arms around them and squeeze them because you love them and you are delighted in the thought that they just want to sit in your lap. How beautiful of a picture is that of love? And how beautiful that is to you, you are twisted and distorted by sin, just like I am. So how much more true is that analogy of our perfect Father in heaven? It's such a beautiful picture. And so as I've been considering this picture of my son laying on top of me during a nap, what I hear the Spirit calling me to do is, Blake, don't just work for me, just be with me. Don't work for me, be with me. Put down your pen, close your laptop, and just sit in my presence. Just be with me. And I hope that you can do that this morning. That you can truly believe that God not only loves you, but he delights in you. And he is inviting you into his presence because he loves you. Your father loves you a lot. And I hope that you can learn to enjoy his presence. Again, I'm not a master at this. I'm still learning it myself. But if you have questions about what that looks like, please talk to us. If you don't feel that love in your heart, if you don't feel like the Father really loves you, we want to talk to you about that too. So before we do that, let me, let me pray for us as we close. You are a good, right, and beautiful Father. You're not just a father, but you're a good father. You love us. And you demonstrate your love for us over and over and daily and by our God. But ultimately, we know that you love us because it's most hugely demonstrated in you sending your son to die on the cross in our place. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing that for us. What an amazing picture we have on the cross of our sin being nailed to the cross so that we don't have to bear it. You bore it for us, God. Thank you. God, I pray for those this morning who who are walking through this season uh, just in turmoil for whatever reason. If it's a, a loss of a loved one, if it's, you know, maybe disdain within a marriage or just within, between brothers and sisters, whoever it is, God, I pray that you can allow them to feel rest and allow them to hear the words that their Father in heaven loves them and he delights in them. So God, allow us to feel that delight. Allow us to feel your presence because we know it's around us, God. Allow us to choose to love others because you first loved us. God, thank you for uh, what we're about to witness in baptism, God, and what the beautiful picture of that is, again, is, as people being buried to death and raised in newness of life. What a wonderful picture that is, God. So allow it to be an imprint, not just something we're observing, but something we're rejoicing over because we can identify with that as Christians ourselves. But God, I also pray for those people in this room who maybe do not know you. And I pray that they can feel that stirring in their hearts as well. And they cannot leave without asking about it. So God, we love you. Thank you for all that you do. And we pray this in the precious, delightful name of Jesus. Amen.